Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Mantalk.ke. Thanks for coming back for another week. Um, we're here at Kafisi. We're at Nine West, which is in Westlands. Uh, this has some very, very interesting rooms. We are in the knowledge room where you can hold meetings, presentations, and it's kind of like a boardroom as well. Um, we've just had a lot of coffee. The coffee here is outstanding. So if you want Kafisi to be your working space for yourself, or if you want it for your company, the link's going to be down below. You can always check it, check the rates, see if it works for you, and tell them we sent you as well. Uh, we're really, really excited for this interview. When we switch to the wide lens, you'll see why. But I'm going to chuck it to O. Oh, do you want to tell the people what's going on today? Ladies and gentlemen. Tell them. Tell in front them. of you is the indefatigable. Oh, my goodness. The limitless. Wow. The fantastic. There it is. Jessica Francisca Colasso. <laughs> um, <laughs> the founder of iHub. There we go. Um, the, I'd say, the godmother of the startup ecosystem. There it Kenya. is. There it is. Tell um, them. And one of the most influential women we've Mm. ever had a ted fellow if yes. i start i could yeah. and uh, on top of all that yeah <laughs> a bass guitarist this yeah. i mean you know there's productivity then there's productivity i nearly called her the elon musk of nairobi but if i did that this leather jacket would not be able to uh, fit the ego <laughs> <laughs> so welcome man welcome to mantok.ke jessica how are you feeling how are you feeling today how are you feeling this morning First and foremost, thank you, Oscar, and thank you, Eli, for mm. in uh, for inviting me here. How I'm feeling? Uh, very energetic. Nice. Uh, very enthusiastic to uh share my story to mm. uh the people out there. Mm. So mm. let's get rolling. Yeah, yeah. Let's get rolling. Yeah. Let's get rolling. Yeah. yeah. The aim of this is to inspire young ladies and young guys, and the kind of path you've taken. I think it's very unique, but I'm hoping through telling your story, telling the lessons you've learned on your journey, that some young guys there might be like, okay, this is what I wanted to do, and this is now the kind of path I want to take. So um, with every single episode, when we start here, we want to find out like where the roots came from, like how you became the person you are today and how your younger life informed that. So we ask every single time, like, what was your upbringing like and how has that informed the person you are today? Like paint the picture of a young Jessica, what kind of life was that? Man, uh, the young Jessica of, was a very uh, hyped up uh, person. Uh, and um, I remember when uh, when growing up, this is like a, around the age of uh, three and five. I still remember some of this uh, to some extent. Uh, my mom uh, would look for me everywhere because mm. I was as I was all over, right? I wanted mm. to to know how things work. And when we used to go on holidays, press panic buttons, oh, and then gosh. the entire security uh, team would show up, and I'd be like, "What did I do? I just pressed a button." Yeah. So I'd like to find out like how things worked. I remember I at the age of I think uh, nine or ten, I shorted the entire house because I fixed a fuse for a three pin plug. And uh -huh. the fuse box blew. So uh, growing up, I was just really curious yeah. uh, about how things worked and uh, was all over finding out, like, why is this this color? Mm. How does, why is this this shape? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. were, you, were you born and raised in Nairobi? I am very much uh, Nairobian. So um, uh, by origin, I'm actually... Uh, Goan, mm. and uh, a little history about uh, about that is uh, the Portuguese did colonize uh, the west part of India, and Goans lived there. So we are the descendants of of that. So half Indian Portuguese slash Goan. So I am actually uh, fourth generation Kenyan on my mom's side and mm. first on my dad's side. Mm. So I grew up and was born uh, in actually South Sea. Uh, uh, oh, here we go. I should just leave it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. We continue uh, to outperform every, expectations. Every episode. Please continue, Jessica. Sorry to interrupt. This is why. This is why. Now, yeah. now, okay. now you know. Okay. <laughs> the mafia. It's, it's a little mafia, isn't it? It's a little mafia. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, go, go on, go on, please. Tell us about South Sea. Tell us about your really yeah. So, yeah. South Sea, uh, way back in uh, the the 80s, was a really quiet, nice neighborhood, suburban. Uh, you could take walks, uh, very, very uh, green uh, environment. And uh, you could just do your evening walks with your family, or you could walk around to the shop and buy some milk and bread, you know, 
and it was very peaceful kind of setting you know so uh that uh peace and calmness is really what i really appreciated uh growing up in south sea yeah. and i uh, i i am an introvert maybe tending now to be an ambivert but was a big introvert uh growing up in south sea so i would actually during school holidays i would actually uh just be at home tinkering like with woodwork and uh building different things during uh my school holidays building yes Wait, what's what sorry to take you back because um your your cv is now based on innovation and it seems that it already started from a very very young age is there any specific project you did when you were younger that you're very very proud of and kind of indicates to who you are today <laughs> that's interesting so uh my mom uh was my biggest supporter uh growing up and uh she actually brought uh bought me uh books at this time in the 80s there were no like computers around you where you could actually access google and things like that and uh learn like how we have uh opportunities right now so she bought uh, she she bought me books i don't know if you know the books tell me why mm. and then more tell me why so i used to read those books and she used to uh, uh buy me other books uh how to make stuff and um in primary actually like developed an interest in uh in in woodwork and metalwork as well and a bit of art so i would i liked action movies so i don't know if you know the uh the movie night rider yeah we know night rider yeah so night rider! i used to <laughs> i used to watch that very avidly and uh, it's just like michael you know you yeah. press the car where are you going the right the right so it's like i want to make a gadget like that right so anyway i uh, i would do woodwork uh and you know how you actually make the joints and things like that so i would tell my mom i need some wood a hammer and some nails and and some glue and my mom's like okay get you that and my dad's like okay fine get you that then you make a gun you know <laughs> kind of thing and then you'd be like get the guns out there i'm 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 michael yeah. knight rider kind yeah. of kind wow. of thing so uh yeah i used to do all that uh on my own very very kind of um I'd say individual contributor, lonesome <laughs> kind of person doing yeah. my own thing in my own world. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. crazy that one of your core memories is short circuiting your house. Um that that's that's very telling. How important do you think your parents nurturing that kind of talent and curiosity was into turning you who you are today? How how essential was that? Well, I think uh most importantly was you need to be uh aware mm. of uh your surroundings and i think for me and this is what has built my self awareness is that uh my mom uh was very observant of uh mm. my sister and i growing up and she she observed the the hyperness the curiosity and uh with that i think having that that support of Mm. your family member mm. Mm. especially your parents especially mm. Mm. your mom your mom who gave mm. birth to you exactly. brought you to this world mm. was 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 very important mm. and i think having that that kind mm. of support and stability in your life as a child mm. the love the caring the mm. ability to give you uh the tools and that environment to mm. actually uh enable you to get yeah. that curiosity out you know mm. by getting like uh lego sets and mm. uh books on how to read on yeah. how stuff works and things like that yeah. i think was really important mm. yeah mm. so she provided me with uh a channel to mm. actually release this curiosity and actually mm. learn by doing practical mm. building mm. Mm. that's incredible yeah. speaking yeah. of building now mm. obviously you've kind of you you've dis you discovered your passion for computer science and you've built a lot of interesting tools and technologies not just for um for like for profit but also for non-profit reasons so how did you come to discover computer science in your development stages <laughs> oh man uh my journey on of uh 
stumbling upon computer science, I think is very uh, serendipitous. And uh, there it is. Uh, there's the word. There's the word. There's the we word. were waiting. Swish. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I would say it's it's probably intentional serendipity. Uh, right now, what I've encompassed, uh, like learning over the last years, is that serendipitous is random. Uh, but I think over time, I have actually come across things with intentional serendipity. Uh, my dad used to bring home um, an apple cube. So I used to play actually games on that. So um, this is at the age of around, uh, I remember 13, 14. So as in form one at that time. And then uh, in form two, um, uh, some of my mom's friends, expats, were actually selling uh, a computer and uh, it was a Pentium. I can't remember whether it was a Pentium 1 or Pentium 2, but uh, she she bought that for me and uh, it was running on Windows um, 95, I believe, or 98. Yeah, 98. And uh, it was just like MS-DOS. So as, as Curious opened up, opened up, windows and it's like okay this is interesting uh the software running now it's more interesting does this thing have games yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. so uh in, in my neighborhood around like Nairobi West and uh, South B some of my friends other goans uh did have like um games on CDs so we loaded like NBA, uh, NBA games, uh, racing games, and then they're just playing with that, right? So the first thing you come across a computer, you just want to play games. Yeah. And then you come across this console and you're like, what is this MS-DOS? So mm. I started learning uh, shortcuts on uh, on MS-DOS. And then you come across <laughs> the famous Prince of Persia. Persia. Yeah, that's how you used to open. That's how you used to open uh, yeah. Prince of Persia. You used to go yeah. C slash yeah. Then, then, then you put the thing, then .exe. I could do it when I was younger. Now yeah. I honestly can't remember. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you come across the uh, Prince of Persia. Golden and Axe. then yeah. yeah. So when, when you invite friends home, you know, they know you have a computer. We start playing games and then we're all there on a Sunday afternoon. We're all in this, the guest room and we, we're playing Prince of Persia. And they're like, you know what? I know a hack on Prince of Persia. Did you used to skip the stages? So I used to skip the stages. I hate ah. you. She's a cheat. Control <laughs> shift L. <laughs> so you used to skip the stages, guys. Yeah. So that's how you started coding. <laughs> no, Prince of Persia was really not uh, the coding side of things, but I was interested in how uh, to how how to actually make a game like, like that. that. Yeah. So oh, I was wow. like curious, and I was like, okay, I can yeah. do this admin console and shut down the computers with the terminal and things like that. But uh, playing the games and actually like using software is really what intrigued my curiosity. Is like. Okay, all these uh, capacitors and circuit boards that we do have uh, on the motherboard, really what powers them is actually like the software. So um, when my dad got me um, a laptop from his office, I was just curious, like, you know, uh, Windows XP was an, a very beautiful platform at, the, oh. at that time. It's just like, it's like, this is an amazing piece of software. How do they create that? And that is what stuck in my mind. However, uh, there's this side of me, uh, when growing up, I used to go to the, the air shows at Wilson mm -hmm. Airport and I was very fascinated by planes. Yeah, like the Cessnas. And my mom would take me to uh, Wilson Airport and we'd watch the air shows. Now, a passion developed for pursuing a career in aeronautical engineering and piloting. Uh, and came along the computer. And as I kept on learning about uh, planes and computers, I was just like, the planes are actually run by software. Mm. So the, the knowledge started to continue to build. How did I uh, come upon computer science? Keep on asking. Yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you so you figure out the relationship between planes and software. So you did you decide to build software for planes on your own? Or how did you 
how did you like bridge the gap? Uh, interesting question. So um, when I uh, was actually in high school, right? Uh, my favorite uh, subjects were the sciences. And um, anyone knows this, I actually went to Loreto Convent Valley Road. And uh, yes, and um, high school is one of the years that I enjoyed immensely. Cannot even emphasize that enough because this really uncovered my full uh, potential in what I loved. I loved actually like being in the lab, seeing how a chemistry experiment uh, is built. Really what tapped into the potential between hardware and software was um, the Science Congress. Now, I would participate in Science Congress every year from from one to from four. And uh, in my third year um, of high school, not third year of university, my third uh, form three, uh, we worked with uh, my physics uh, teacher physics professor and we came up with a system whereby you could actually optimize routing for passengers uh, using matatus in uh in in kenya so it kind this of is what, wait so you're optimizing routing for matatus in kenya yes at form three yes okay this yes. which year is this uh uh 1980 that's right before like that's oh. before google before facebook before everything oh yes crazy okay. yes uh-huh. Sorry so to uh what we did was um I looked at the at the roots in 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 Nairobi, and I was like, "It's interesting that people stop at bus stops, and um, they get into the matatus, and it's really full, and then you have to pay pay with cash, right?" So, um, if yeah, people ask me if I've been in a matatu. Yes, I've been in a matatu. Twelve thanks, C's your matatu. Thanks to mm. my mom. I'm mm. not say twelve C's my matatu, <laughs> but my mom exposed me to the world of uh, public transport when we were young. My sister and I, uh, Natasha, uh, and my mom's name is Mildred Colasso. Uh, we would go when she would be on holiday. Uh, we would actually take a matatu from South Sea to town mm-hmm. and uh what, what i got curious about was um how how could we actually uh what what really influenced uh that so they they uh, let me let me let me track back right so i actually uh visited um london at the age of uh 11 right? And when I did visit London at the age of 11, uh, we, it was a bit of a culture shock because you're taking, uh, the transport you're using is a tube. And I was like, okay, uh, this is interesting. Um, you buy a ticket and you say which route you're going in, put the money in, and then you just get your ticket and you go into the tube. And then I remember my mom's cousins were taking us around London, right? Kensington Station, Charing Cross. And I was like, this is interesting, the routes. And I looked at that map and I was like, this is an interesting way of optimizing travel to and fro within uh, the London city. So that really embedded in my mind. And I didn't realize years later when uh, I'm in uh, high school that uh, that was a concept that was boiling up mentally to see like how we could actually use a similar uh, use case for Matatu travel in uh, Nairobi. So with uh, my physics professor, we were like, let's have, you know how you actually like uh, put a coin in a a juice uh, vending machine, right? And then you pick what you want. Mm. So uh, the idea was, okay, let's make it simple. From Valley Road, because 
Loreto Valley Road. If you want to go from Valley Road to uh, town, uh, you just pick your route and then you see, uh, actually on the board, you can actually see what it was and then you put a coin in and then you, it disperses your ticket and then you just wait for your matatu. So uh, I presented it again in uh, uh, form four. We optimized it a little bit uh, with an actual dispensing now of uh, for coins. Uh, and then we la I left it at that. So I'm curious, with all of this uh, exposure, ideas, curiosity, and the kind of background that you've described, uh, for people that don't know and that are watching, what do you do now at this age with all of that as the background? Uh, what do I do right now? Um, right now, I am a tech entrepreneur. And uh, my speciality is building high-performance teams. So I help uh, executives uh, to align their strategy with uh, their workforce. Um, aside from building uh, high-performing teams and being a tech entrepreneur, I also am a musician and I have an upcoming EP called Metamorphosis that I'm currently releasing at the end of September. And um, another thing I also do is uh, public speaking. There it is. Mm. How many days in a week? There's more. Mm. <laughs> There's yeah. more. But I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. So um, I want to talk about iHub and being a pioneer in that space. Because um, obviously the, the time that you, were, that you were doing it, it was to be a pioneer. It wasn't, you know, around. So how did the, how did the concept of iHub come about? Because maybe people know iHub that are watching, but they don't know, you know, the story of how it came about. Because I'm sure there's innovators watching. So to hear how someone's innovation happened and was successful, I'd be curious to know your journey into starting iHub. All right. So, uh, Eli, Oscar, how did I meet you? I met you at a coffee shop, right? Uh, and that was through a serendipitous uh, meeting. Yeah. And here we are today having this podcast. A uh, similar concept. Um, the community, uh, especially the tech community, or people in general, uh, when they want to actually meet and interact, what do they do? They meet over a coffee, tea, food. Yeah. So techies, like myself, would meet at... Uh, Javas, and we'd have conversations about, oh yeah, this is the latest technology being used. You know, this is the la la latest Linux distro. Try it, download it. You know, uh, this is what I'm doing on mapping. Uh, try this mashup. This is the language I'm using, PHP framework, Laravel. Let's let's try this. What interesting things can we work on? And we'd have about like. Th about three, four people meeting like at Sarit Center uh, or, 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 or the mall um, at the food court. And um, I remember just after, when I was in university, there was a group called Skunkworks mm -hmm. uh, that was created by um, the likes of Josiah Mugambi and Riaz Bachani. And uh, this was really... Uh, a group to bring together uh, people in technology to have a conversation once a month uh, just to talk about anything interesting in tech. And uh, I heard about this group in my second and third uh, and going to my third year of university. And I remember Riaz Bachani reaching out to me and uh, asking to meet. And I was very shy at that point in time. I was like, maybe, maybe not. And uh, uh, Skunkworks, I uh, continue to hear about Skunkworks. And Skunkworks is really where uh, the idea of actually setting the iHerb started. And I have to get, give credit to that community because from that community, uh, the likes of Dr. Bitange Damo actually gave uh, space at uh, his office. I'm not sure if, if it's, it's yeah, it's Telposta Towers. And they would meet there once a month and invite a group of like 20, 30 people. And this was around like 2007, 2008. And 
finally, when I graduated from university in 2007, 2008, um, I was exposed to the community of, of Skunkworks. Uh, Riaz and uh, Josiah were asking me to showcase my final year project, which was a wireless mapping service that could show you routes around uh, Nairobi and find your way. Ah, <laughs> stop it there. So when you, when you were 11, you saw a map in London. When you were in high school, you designed... A a routing system with a ticketing service. And now you designed after in your university days, a mapping, um, geographic mapping service for mobile phones. Yes, even before Google came into the country. Tough. So there's a lot of consistency there. So you see, your story is actually very consistent. It's yes. Crazy. Okay, please continue. So so please continue with the, <laughs> with the so you meet guys at Skunkworks at Poster. Um, so actually, you know, uh, Oscar. Yeah. I actually uh, never met them at at uh, Tel Poster Towers. Yeah. Uh, I would actually. I, I was a. I was a. I am a huge introvert. Yeah. And my friend, uh, my friends who are developers like Wilfred Moria and Brian Mita and Riaz Bachani and Josiah would talk to me and say, "Hey, you need to come. People want to hear how you actually developed like uh, the mapping service on like uh, the smartphones D two M." And I was like, "Did the mapping service have a name? If you don't mind me asking." If the mapping service did it have a name, uh, I called it WMS. Nice. Wireless mapping service. Okay. Yeah, what every techie does at that point <laughs> in time. We, we put cool. acronyms cool. to everything. Yeah. So, uh, really, um, how did this is really interesting because this is way back in time. Yeah. Uh, you're really making me go back, way back in time. So, this is the story. So Wilfred Moria, uh, who is um, an ac exceptional developer and thought leader in this space, said, Eric Hersman is in town and he would like to meet you. And uh, Eric had uh, SMSed me a couple of months ago saying, hey, Jessica, I hear you're a really good mobile developer. I would like to meet you so you can be part of the Ushaidi mobile project as a volunteer. But I didn't reply. I was shy. And I didn't meet him at that point in time. And a couple of months later, Wilfred said, uh, Eric is in town. Um, and then also Steve Mutinda at that point in time was also, Eric was in town. These are these are developers who actually worked on the Ushaidi uh, platform. So what exactly is the Ushaidi platform for our audience members watching? Uh, Ushaidi means witness in uh, Kiswahili and Ushaidi is a platform that came about during the post-election violence in 2007 and 2008. Uh, it was a platform that was developed uh, during a crisis. Uh, it's something that could have been, it's something that takes about one to two weeks to develop. This platform was built in 12 to 18 hours by Developers globally, but 80% of them came from Kenya. And it was a platform whereby you could actually send uh, data using SMS uh, and uh, use through a web platform. And then the information would traverse uh, onto uh, a map and you could visually see uh, where the violence was happening on uh, in different parts of Kenya. So if there was theft, if, if there was fires, if there was killings, they would be uh, color-coded on different things on the map. So bloggers on the ground were sending information using uh, like mobile technology. And this is what we call uh, uh, di uh, digital humanitarian technology. I want to rewind back to what you mentioned, right? Because to get to that, where you're developing something like that that's going to help people, there was a moment you kind of, you sort of jumped over where you had an opportunity to meet this gentleman, Eric, right? But, and you had the, the, the skills, facilities, there was a reason he wanted to meet you. But one of the hurdles you've mentioned is that being an introvert, 
going to that meeting was like a big deal. So but a lot of the time when people hear advice, they hear that, you know, opportunities meets preparation, but there's silent hurdles like being an introvert and not wanting to put yourself out there that can maybe stop a lot of potential. So what were practical things you did as an introvert to actually get yourself in the room regardless and bet on yourself and have those conversations? Uh, you have to pick up a lot of courage mm. to to actually even stepping out. Yeah. Uh, and my mom, uh, again, my biggest supporter, she's like, this is the second, third time. She's yeah. like, you need to go. Yeah. And uh, I think just having friends around me who said, let's go together, yeah. uh, gave me a bit of the courage. Yeah. And <laughs> I met Eric at... Uh, um a prestige we had met at the prestige uh food court and he's like so glad to meet you finally yeah. and he's like uh i follow your work avidly uh, uh what you're doing at uh Strathmore university I, after after university studying computer science at the university of nairobi i joined strathmore yeah. uh, as a management consultant for uh, about three years, but I was also uh, doing a lot of work, uh, training, uh, mobile uh, development and training people in the technology scene to become mobile developers. And he was like, I've been keeping track of like uh, the work you've been doing and a couple of people have been telling me about uh, what a good mobile developer you are. I was once called the queen of Java. Uh, Once, oh. yes, not anymore. <laughs> oh. The one uh, queen of Java for for mobile tech. Uh, I think I lost that a couple of many years ago, and uh, I was amazed. You know, Eric is this big, but very he has a very uh, uh, domineering presence. When you meet him, he's he's tall, and but he's very soft spoken and very eloquent. And he speaks to you in a way that's very welcoming. And I was like, he's an interesting person. So that's the first time I encountered Eric Kersman. Mm. Yes. So how did that relationship move from you working to, in the Ushawidi project, which is obviously your contributions there don't need to be restated um, because of just how much, uh, you know, how much you contributed towards mapping a real life issue, such as, you know, the election violence that Kenya experienced all those years ago. Um, could you touch a bit on what working that team was like, the Ushahidi project, um, after meeting Eric Herzman, what you learned from that project specifically? Yeah, I would say the Ushahidi project was really a, a team project. And I think having uh, leaders like Ori Okolo, Juliana Rotich, and... David Kobia and Eric Hersman leading that as as the initial co-founders of Ushaidi because they had a blogging back background it was easy for them to get content and uh with the help of actually the right developers who are volunteer developers uh coming from from the continent especially Kenya made it made it uh easier to actually like get uh the solution out in time for uh, for for the people to actually see what was actually uh, going on, so I think um, the key word there is trust and collaboration that people had with uh, with each each other during that point in time when the the country was undergoing such turmoil. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Now, like, okay, so back then in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when that was happening, I didn't personally. I didn't realize how big a part digital can play in terms of doing social good, right? But now in 2022, I think it's definitely the norm. If there's any like social justice, anything that needs to be highlighted, the kind of platforms we have now, it's it's in your face every single day, right? And you can see what's going on on a global scale. How important do you think the role of tech is in battling social issues? Because you obviously had foresight back then, but now with the scope that you're seeing, how, how important do you think the role of tech is now? Uh, specifically to social issues mm. or just generally? No, social issues. Because I think if you go on, if you're on Instagram, if you see, for example, something like George Floyd, something yeah. like what happened in Nigeria. Me too. The fir- yeah, me too. The first places you're seeing it are Twitter. And this is basically a reflection of the similar things you were doing back then. So I'm curious to know, how do you see the role of social media and tech 
in highlighting and fighting social issues because I think a lot of the people doing it are Gen Zs, are you know millennials, and we're really having a louder voice now. So how important do you think it is for like social media and tech in battling those things and then informing now like world leaders when it comes to social issues? Right. I think uh, social media has become what we call uh, ubiquitous, Mm -hmm. right? That's a word we use in uh, the world of uh, computer science, meaning it's everywhere. Um, And uh, in some countries it can, it's banned like China, a lot of the apps that are there are banned. But irregardless, they have created applications that are equivalent to the ones that are banned. So the fact that we have tools and channels um, on social media like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Mm -hmm. Snapchat, and a variety of others um, gives... uh, the young people and just people uh, generally, the power to actually uh, speak freely, mm. right? Mm. So if you're able to actually have uh, an environment online, digitally, to actually speak freely uh, and actually have uh, the right to, f- to fight for human rights and mm. the active activism and done in the right way, if you actually mm. put the right content out there with the right mm. hashtags, mm. Uh, I think you're definitely going to capture uh, the audience of certain leaders mm. who are looking out to actually mm. help mm. Uh, these young communities or human human rights activists mm. in doing that. Mm. I think one example I'd like to give is like uh, a, f- a fellow Ted fellow, uh, Boniface Mwangi. Uh, he's mm. very um, he's very open and and mm. uh, very elaborate mm. on his uh, social media channel mm. on Twitter mm. on on Instagram in terms of the political situation uh, in the country. So I think as, 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 a, as a human being, one thing you need to, to be is a bit disciplined and responsible in how you actually mm. put out the content out mm. there. Mm. But what I can say is that uh, the social media channels in this time and, uh, and day are giving people a chance to, le- uh, to reach leaders mm. who they could not reach before. Mm. Uh, put out uh, a voice that could that could not be heard before mm. Th- things that were silenced yeah. right mm. so I think if we have ways that they are responsibly uh, used mm. and used in a very polite way mm. you know I mm. mean a respectful way I think yeah. that you will get the attention of the right mm. uh, stakeholders. Yeah. So it was, it was a leading question because I wanted to get your perspective because the opportunity to have you sat here as somebody that back then could see the importance of it. I now want to ask you where we are now, where do you see the future of tech informing like politics and social issues? What do you see the future of that? Because back then you could see how essential it is and now you're seeing the scope. Where do you see the future of tech, politics and social issues? Uh, where do I see the future of politics and tech? Uh, I do think, um, I know I've, I've stood up on platforms and I have projected uh, futuristic trends. Mm-hmm. Um, I did this with mobile tech. Um, where do I see current tech? I can say Web3 mm-hmm. uh, definitely has um, potential in playing a, a, a huge role when it comes to um, engaging governments, when it uh, comes to engaging uh, businesses. Mm. Um, how? I think we're still in, in the infancy stages of mm. that mm. right mm. now. Yeah. yeah. Is the future bright? The future is bright because with Web3, it's a lot of... Uh, we're talking about decentralized systems and the use of uh, blockchain and uh, second layer protocols on top of blockchain. And I think um, you can already see, um, I'll give I'll give very recent example, Cardano, mm. 
mm. coming into the ecosystem, mm. uh, partnering with uh, venture capitalists, um, partnering with uh, credit uh, lending platforms to actually um, mm. have a way to ha- help in financial uh, inclusion. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to when it comes to the politics side of things or when it comes to government side of things, we need to see uh, the policy side recognizing mm. uh, these type of platforms yeah. uh, like uh, blockchain and uh, Web3 and crypto. Um, what, what, what role does it play mm. in our economy? The, the futuristic side of things is that a person like yourself, myself, will be able to have digital assets mm. that we might not necessarily actually have to have uh, in like real estate. So definitely, I think um, Web3 and... Uh, Decentralization. And yeah. the assets that come with it are going to be a big uh, factor. Yeah. Um, just to touch on um, decentralization, and obviously um, it's a little bit because you've taken it there, and I have you here, so I'll just like brush the question. Trustless um, transactions and having um, transactions that do not necessarily require middlemen and validation, I also think, from my perspective, um, can really take away a lot of the uncertainty around the business in. Mm an SME market like here in Africa. Because um, I think um, essential services, for example, the fact that you know you can pay for electricity directly mm. can really like change, like, you know, remove the costs of it, the, those latent costs that come with, you know, buying electricity, buying water, buying certain essential government services. Mm. I think that might even change like the politics of the day. Um, but I wanted you to talk a little bit more on digital humanitarianism and the impact of that in in the future and today. Um, I think that's a philosophy not many people know about, um, and it came up in our research about kind of your achievements. Um, would you mind sharing kind of your belief in digital humanitarianism and how you've put that in your work today? All right. Um, so when I was growing up, uh, some, of the th- uh, some of the ethos I had was, uh, can I remember I used to have this in my CV when I was in form one, form four. I had a CV, yes, I had a CV in form one <laughs> and form four. And it was to, uh, so when I had my CV from form from four, uh, when I was going to university, I actually put put that using mobile technology to make the world a better place. And what is digital human humanitarian humanitarianism yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, it's just about um uh, harnessing or using the power of uh mobile technology or using the power of technology as a whole and this can be the use of mobile 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 technology and social media uh to actually help in this disaster recovery that is actually what uh digital human uh, humanitarian technology is about and uh and and for me i think just uh seeing how the power of a small device just this small and the power of sms technology and the power of a web form just provided data and information to people when they needed it the most was so powerful mm. Yeah. So powerful, simple, but yet so powerful because there was a media blackout in 2007 and eight. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine not having information? I'll give an example. What do you do if you, if you do not have your phone the entire day? What do you go through? Stress. You don't have information. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And what if you just let out, like, if, if you just made a hole in that wall and some kind of information came through? What would happen to you? You'd know more. Exactly. Yeah. So that is what it 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 brought to me the awareness of how something so simple can make such massive change and impact. 
and the power of technology and technology used in the right way can make a really good impact. Facts. Facts. Yeah. With, with such a, like, I would say illustrious career so far, right? Um, there's clearly, there's obviously highs that you've mentioned and the innovation and the foresight, but I want to know about the lessons you learned because it couldn't have always been smooth sailing from idea to execution. And like I said, my main goal here is somebody with a similar mind to you that's slightly younger to get some gems from your journey. So what were the main lessons that you wish somebody told you when you had, you know, you had those skills back there and then implemented them? What are some things you wish someone said? Be careful of this or I recommend you do this. Mm -hmm. Like lessons you learned along the way. Uh, yeah, lessons I learned along the way. So uh, definitely lessons when I was young, lessons mm. when I was we'll in we'll university. Yeah. Go, go, go. Start young. Yeah. Organize them. Yeah. <laughs> Organize them. So uh, I'll start from a young child. Mm. A child is curious or doing something because some uh, there's something in the environment mm. uh, enhancing that. Mm. So pay attention to that. Mm. You know, if you're a parent uh, and you don't have that patience with uh, your your children, I think um, my advice is. Pay attention to your, your your children as they as they are growing from a very young age all the way to the way to a teenager. Look at how they are they are they're learning. Look at how they're eating. Look mm -hmm. at uh, observe the small things around them. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think for me, this is uh, using the example of my parents observing certain things mm. about me, helped me to get to a career path that mm. I actually really enjoy, mm. right? Yeah. Mm. Um, the other thing is, oh man, have somebody who believes in you. Mm -hmm. Identify that person, mm. whoever they are. Never lose sight of them. Mm. Never uh, embrace them with everything that you have. Mm. And I might be emotional about this because for that, for that, for me, mm. that was my mom, my mm. best friend. Mm. Yeah, um, she believed in me so mm. much. I, I, I cannot express it. Mm. I would not be the person I am today yeah. if it was not for my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the beautiful thing is, I think sometimes the mistake that other parents made that your mother didn't clearly is that sometimes parents can impose their dreams on their child, on their children, right? But when you actually look, like you said, you identify the kind of child they are and you nurture that talent because your mom's generation would not have been interested in tech and blockchain, et cetera. But the fact that she nurtured the curiosity when you were short circuit in the house gives the kind of mind that we have today. So I think it's a very good lesson that you said for parents, like nurture the individual, don't impose. If you wanted to be a piano player, don't make your child a piano player. Don't push them into music. Look at the kind she of might human. Be both. Come on. She, she might be both. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah and, both. and you know, the interesting part is my mm. mom got me a guitar at the age of seven. Mm. But yeah, the guitar yeah. was parked uh, in mm. the corner. Yeah, yeah. And she got my sister an upright piano at the age of yeah. uh, eight. Yeah. My sister went yeah. for piano classes. Yeah. And then who ended up playing the piano? Me. Oh, wow. When I was in yeah. high school, I was mm. just like tinkering mm. uh, around. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she did everything to, mm. Uh, mm. to harness me and yeah. believe in me. Mm. So... I tell, I kid you not, mm. find that person out there who mm. believes in you. Mm. Mm. If they believe in you mm. and if they're putting time in you, mm. keep them here. Mm. Yeah. 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 Let's take a break and grab your tissue. Yeah, let's take a break. Okay. Grab your tissue. tissue. Um, thanks for coming back after the break. Um, very, very... Very, yeah. very emotional. Everyone on site is very emotional. Oscar was weeping. I was <laughs> crying. Uh, cheers, yeah. Short I had to give him my tissues. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, tissues. It's the best, guys. Um, so this is a perfect, I think, opportunity now to talk about 
your music and the relationship between that music and um, mental health. And I want to get into your music and um, Jessica, the musician. I think that's something that I found very fascinating about you, that amongst all of your achievements, you still have time yeah. to kill it on music. Yeah. So what's the story about, you know, your song and what inspired you to get into music and to kind of build a brand around that? All right. Uh, again, uh, growing up, uh, this is when I was in, uh, in primary. My sister was two years ahead, so she was in high school. They started a, a, a band with a group of friends, family friends. And I was supposed to be in the band and I was like, ah, me and my hyperness, I, was all, I went out and I was like mm. playful, playing with the dogs. Yeah. But then like a, a year or two later, I would just listen to them. And then I remember I had, I, I uh, my mom had a, a stereo where you could record. So I would actually record myself singing. And this was just during primary. And then I remember I would enjoy Michael Jackson songs. And then uh, La, La, La Bamba. Yeah. So I would sing some of yeah, I would sing some of the songs and then record them and then I'd be like, you know what? Uh influence I'll call this tape bass to four, right? And uh influence in music started around uh like uh uh high school. My 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 uncles used to play guitar, so we'd actually actually have sing-alongs, we'd have a lot of uh uh sing-alongs at at home so we'd sing like all the oldies Amazing. yeah frank yeah. sinatra's Elvis <laughs> Presley's, oh, no. uh, <laughs> kenny rogers you exactly skin. come on you deep in my heart oh buddy <laughs> yes, please continue. so 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 the guitar that was bought for me yeah you would bring it out and then my uncles would play it and uh yeah so eventually after after high school started learning um a bit of the guitar and ib is really what influenced uh the guitar i was like oh my god i've come from all girls school to like all boys school and this these guys are amazing so uh, going into the play at St. Mary's and then you see all these guitars. Now I was like, I did ABRSM. So that's really how I got into music and then self-learning and my uncle's teaching me. And then again, my mom pushed me to go play for the youth group at Don Bosco. And uh, there was a really strong person there, a parish priest, a man, Father Tony Fernandez. He pushed me to the edge and he's like, you need to go and play for weddings. I had no idea what I was playing. Honestly, Oscar, it's yeah. just like, you're playing for weddings and then you're playing. I'm like, what key is this, Karen? D, C, G. I'm just like, just play, just play. And then they're putting the volume line. I'm like, guys, I'm playing the wrong keys. Innovation. Right? Innovation. Right? So anyway, that's, I really I started out uh, playing guitar at, at Don Bosco and then eventually I found my passion on the bass guitar, it's like, what is this long guitar? And then boom, oh, I was nice. like, that is what I want to play. Yeah. So uh, it really started from, uh, I would say, Don Bosco Church. That's where the musical path really started. And I wanted to be a musician. I was studying computer science at that time. And I was like, telling my dad, I actually want to be a musician. He's looking at me. Musician, computer science sounds a little better. Yeah. Building apps. Right. Mm. And mom, she's like, you can do both. Continue. Mm. And uh, from then I met uh, colleagues uh, in, in church uh, who uh, introduced me like to the likes of Viola Karuri. Yeah. She came back from Berkeley, played for her for two years, uh, played for rock bands, the likes of M2O, started my own rock band. You started uh, your own rock band? Yes. Oh. And I, my childhood dream. Base two four. I started a rock band called uh, Base two four. Yes, and then eventually uh, uh, played for Rich, who is a really famous rock musician in Kenya, underground, uh, in a rock band called All Summer in Africa. And now I'm uh, two years later releasing my own uh, EP called Metamorphosis. It's mm -hmm. time. It's time for sure. Outstanding. You were playing with somebody that studied at Berkeley, music at Berkeley. Yes, Viola Karuri. That's the level we're talking about. That's that's impressive. Yeah. What role does like music play 
with your mental health and like decompressing from the tech side because marriage in those two worlds yeah there must be a reason why there's a balance of music and then technical aspect because maybe monday to thursday you're like tech 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 is music like your release from the other or uh monday to friday is not just tech 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 for me really Monday to Friday to Sunday to Saturday is music for me. Music yeah. is my decompression. It's my mm. let out. It's my solace. Mm. When I need to calm down, I think earlier before set, you saw me with like headphones. Mm. I was using the music because there's a science and an art behind music. The different tones and the different decibels does something to the brain waves that calm you down or they hype you. Uh, depending on uh, the 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 sine curve that you're at. Sorry to get so technical, mm. but mm. it really does that. You music mm. is my heart and soul. Mm. Wow, we can confirm this hypothesis uh, before set. We listen to the eight oh eights on Drake. Yes, uh, yes. regularly. Drake yes, is, yes, a, yes. is our D- uh, our ritual. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> just before we shoot. Mm. Um, just it's interesting. I I have this uh, phenomenon like because you seem I think you can explain it for me. And I've never understood why do I like really 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 hard rock when I'm stressed. Why? Yeah. Uh, do, are are you the same? Like because I like really like I like the riff. Which hard rock? Which artist in specific? Guns and Roses. Harder. Metal. Metallica. Metal. Uh, Metallica. Or Black Sabbath. Metallica or uh, Five De- um, Five Finger Death Punch. Yeah. So for you, that's that's that, that's that's a little different because when I'm stressed, I do like EDM or house, but it's like adrenaline yeah, rush, yeah, yeah. Boom, boom, yeah, yeah. Boom, right? I, I use kick. EDM or house or Afro beats for work. Like when I'm doing something, it's like a high pressure, high focus environment. That's when I use that. But like when I'm like going through it like crazy, I want the decibels on max, maximum decibels. So, uh, so Oscar, hmm. can I ask you something? Please go. I'm your, I'm your, think of me as a therapist here. Mm. Do you go to the gym? Occasionally, but not as often. Do you box? I do have a real interest in MMA. Okay. What I'll tell you from what you've just told me, and this is something I think you've also uncovered, is that I'm able to spot talent. <laughs> I think uh, if you listen to hard rock, uh doing an equivalent sport because metal is about a mosh pit it's about like head banging and stuff like that you're, you're you're trying to let out something you're trying to let out that emotion you're feeling yeah right so it's a synonymous with like a physical sport so i should do i should i should cue my gym with with like really hard metal rock as well. You'll see. Thank you very much. Uh, if, if you say Ma- Jessica, I believe it. Madam Therapist. I <sighs> yes, I, we, we add that to Madam- her continuously yes. expansive CV. Yes. <laughs> Madam, Madam, please diagnose me. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy bossa nova and soft jazz and lounge music. However, I'm a beast in the gym. So explain this phenomenon. I'm confused. How does this balance? Uh, so you're the cool temperament. Correct. He's a fiery temperament. Correct. I don't know if that's Correct. right. Correct. Yes. yes. Right. So, uh, you know why you enjoy the bossa nova? Mm. Dun, 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 exactly. Dun, dun, there we go. Dun, uh-huh. dun, 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 there it is. Dun, dun. Don't make me salsa. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. So it's the bass getting you. Mm. Yeah. Just in a different. It's the bass getting you. Like it's it's making your heart pound. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But you're in a you're you're kind of in a Ferrari, mm-hmm. but you're you're cruising. <sighs> that's quite the analogy. This makes sense. Mm. This makes sense. She used Ferrari, that's how she got, yeah, she, that's how she got me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Outstanding. Yeah, that's another, yeah, another yeah, roster. We we mm. can't mm. wait to He's wait. in a monster truck. Yes. You're in a Ferrari. Yeah. Yes, I am yeah. in a monster truck. But I'm he, on the Amalfi but Coast. He, yeah. The yeah. thing is, he can't go over you because you, you're way miles ahead. You're in mm-hmm. a Ferrari. Yeah, me for me. It's, mm. uh, listen, mm. let me and my monstrosities continue. Yes. No, yes. you're in a monster truck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Have one. you ever the... played that game, Monster Truck Madness? Madness, yes. 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 Monster <laughs> Truck Madness. <laughs> yeah, that was a good game. How's that? Uh, How's that? We'll probably used MS DOS like you did for there Prince of Persia. There you go. All right. Next question. We really wish we could continue. Because like mm. there's so many things we could cover, yeah. um, but I think this question is like what we ask all our guests. Um, 
what is one piece of content, a movie, a quote that you think really transformed you and has really assisted you to become the person you are today? Hmm. For me, my movie is uh, has been real life. There it is. There's the flex. That's a Come real. on, keep talking. Mm. Let them know. Yeah. And um, it was just watching um, my amazing mom mm. doing what she did, how she did it, how composed she was, how warm and gentle she was. I think just watching things in real life and identifying with that and just identifying that thing or that person around you. For me, it was not a book. For me, it's not a movie. It was a lot of people ask me, who's, who's, who's your role model? I mean, I just said, my mom's my role model. She's around me every day and uh, she inspires me. She's so humble, but she's so hardworking. And... Um, she was able to do so many things in such, like, do you know how grace, you're, you you move with grace, but you don't know how much the person is doing? Mm -hmm. That is what she was. So I carry her legacy and I try to look out for similar people around me. So if you have people around you, like that, who trust you, who believe in you, keep them close to you because they're diamonds and gems. Mm -hmm. That's my advice for you. Amazing. So observe and then extract. There it basically. is. Yeah. Well, Jessica, um, wow. I think it's it's high time. <clears throat> let me sit in this channel and, and, and kind of let you know kind of what you mean to the tech space in Kenya. Um, I didn't tell you this, uh, but in 2016, uh, 2017, I was also kind of getting into the startup scene and I was really deeply into tech. And a lot of the people who I met during that time were people who are mobile developers, uh, guys who are into um, developing the technology and the startup ecosystem in Kenya. And your name and the impact that you've had in this country when it comes to tech, when it comes to putting our name on the global map um, has really like been a ladder for which so many other entrepreneurs have kind of stepped on and moved forward to. And I don't think, personally, I'd, I'd like to celebrate you. And I'd like to let you know that your mom is very proud of you. <laughs> Thank and, you. And everyone is very proud of you. Mm -hmm. And we, we really celebrate you as a patriot, as someone who continues to carry our brand high and even with your current venture, which unfortunately we couldn't get into in the interest of time, which is brave and how you want to match African developed talent to, you know, innovation that's going to help other Africans. You are the embodiment of what, you know, we want to see young Kenyans kind of become with the powers that we've given them through education. So thank you, Jessica, for the work that you do. This has been me. <laughs> Can I say one more thing? Yeah. Uh, I do know you're curious about the name Brave. Yeah. And I would like to celebrate the women out there who are equal to men. Everyone is equal. Why Brave? Why Brave? Because my co-founders and I were inspired by the one and only Wangari Mathai, the only African woman in Africa to get a Nobel Peace Prize. She fought for the environment, she fought for human rights. And because of her today, we have the greenery we have. She was bitten, she was swept through everything, but she was bold and courageous. So brave exists to build bold, courageous leaders across the continent by people unleashing their best potential and exhibiting authentic leadership.
and I embrace that in what I do, and so does Brave. Incredible. There it is. You're definitely an authentic leader. And no, no other yeah, Jessica. Only no one. other Jessica. Um, we know how busy you are. We know how valuable your time is, so we don't take it for granted. So thank you for gracing us on the set. Thank you for sharing a story, being vulnerable at the same time, and giving people gems. I hope that somebody watching this will be able to go down your beaten path and find their own um, talents and execute that and help society as well, the same way you have. So thank you, Jessica. Thank uh, you. We hope to have you back if you have the time. Um, but for everyone watching, I hope you've enjoyed the, this interview. I hope you've enjoyed the episode half as much. I was enjoying making it. Why Oscar? We had a ball. There we go.